0: Show episode number 231. This week, Carl and I talk about how awesome the VS Code remote features really are. I got my XPS 13 laptop and I provide my first thoughts. We cover some of the rumors about the Microsoft event. And start updating your websites to support dark mode raygun
1: gives you complete visibility on errors crashes and performance problems affecting your end users replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications check it out today at raygun.com
0: hey carl how's it going it's going pretty good so what do we got for stickers
1: stickers once again send us an email with your stickers in the subject line and your name and address in the body Mm -hmm. and also a huge shout out to trent apple uh he had mentioned that he had actually told us twice that he needed stickers (laughs) and that we might want to check our junk mail and apparently the last time i did that was right around build so there was quite a few people in there so if you have uh sent that email and haven't gotten a response it looks like i have quite the backlog to work through uh unfortunately i have a little bit of uh work travel coming up so be patient on those and i'll get those out as soon as i can
0: yep everybody's like oh those jerks at the ms dev show they say they're going to ship stickers and they never do
1: well we have pictures proving that we do so okay (laughs) i believe you um and then what do we have for the comment of the week Yes, I, I'm friends with Jamie from the .NET Core podcast, mm-hmm. and he recently uh, tweeted out a little bit of advertising for himself, but also recommended a few other podcasts, including ours. And I just thought it was a really cool list to be a part of. So just to quick run through his other developer podcast recommendations in case you guys need a little bit more content, Merge, Confl- uh, Merge Conflict, Tech Junior podcast, uh, The Complete Developer podcast, Coding Blocks. Us, the Backend Bear podcast, DNI Stream, and Weekly Dev Tips. So we'll have that link in the show notes so you can actually have links to all of those. But those are all great uh, podcasts and great company to be in.
0: Absolutely. So thank you so much for that.
1: And if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on our website or on Twitter. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews.
0: Yes, we do. Okay, so let's jump into the news, and then we have a whole bunch of really cool stuff coming up. But let's get through the news first. So this first one here, learn Kubernetes five to ten minutes a day in 50 days. Yeah, so, you know, if I ask you to do
1: something and it's going to take five or ten minutes to do, that doesn't sound too intimidating. Mm-mm. And here's a Kubernetes learning path put out on the uh, azure.microsoft.com website that'll five to 10 minutes a day for 50 days will help you get from no knowledge of Kubernetes to a pretty
0: good working knowledge. Well, that's pretty cool. It's like Duolingo for (laughs) for Kubernetes. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So it looks like there's I'm just kind of looking through like it's a PowerPoint, actually. And then. There's like articles that you read, and uh, this is pretty cool. I I like this. I like this idea, of um, just spending a little bit of time on it each day. Very cool. Uh, HTTP REPL is now available. What is HTTP REPL?
1: This is a really cool tool put out by the ASP.NET Core team. So you know people are familiar with REPLs from like Python or even equivalent things like the Immediate Window and C Sharp and Visual Studio. Well, now there's a console-based HTTP REPL. So this is something that the .NET Core team has been using in their some of their videos and training and documentation for a while, but they finally open-sourced the tooling for it. So uh, you can actually do a in your command line, a .NET tool install to actually get this HTTP REPL uh, on your machine. And then once you execute the tooling, uh, you can actually, you know, point it at, at like a Either a URL or a local host URL, mm-hmm. and kind of navigate that like it's uh, you know part of your terminal. So you can do like an ls, and it'll list out the different things you can do, uh, the different paths. Uh, if there's a git or a post on them, it's really really interesting. I highly we're not going to do it justice. Go to the documentation in the URL and just kind of read through it. So you could do like an ls and see that you have like a fruit and a people path. Yeah. That, each that, of those have a the key. A
0: Cause at first I'm like, uh, isn't this just curl, but no, it, it actually has a little bit better understanding of what's going on. Yeah, on the other, it,
1: it works alongside swagger. So you can yeah. e- even get like preferred parameters. So there's one where there's like, it takes a color parameter and you can do, um, a preference get and see that, you know, the options are green, bold, cyan, bold, yellow, and, you know, list like 10 options there. And yeah. you can, like set some of those. So as you're working with this repl in your, uh, terminal, you don't have to always, uh, you know, manually type all that out all the time. You can kind of set a preference and then every time you just request it again, it'll remember, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do, uh, orange. That's for that color.
0: I was going to say, can you do like macros with this? It looks like you can. There's, um, yes. Yeah. You can actually have it run some things, uh, which is really cool. That's awesome. That'd be great for development. Uh, that really tightens up that uh, debug loop. Uh, very cool. Okay, and then the next one here, remember to add media queries to your CSS so you can respond to browsers requesting a dark theme. Yes, please do that. I want dark themes.
1: Yeah, so all iOS 13 devices are now going to uh, request uh, these media queries for uh, color scheme preferences. Mm-hmm. So you can put a media uh, query prefers-color-scheme, and um, on you can have a light scheme and a dark scheme and you know allow whatever the user wants and have your uh, UI show up how you want it presented in that light or dark theme.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, uh,
1: yeah, I, hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler alert, but Jason and I are in early talks about updating our website. And this is one of the key things that I find very valuable to add.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm playing around with Hugo for doing um, generation of static websites. And and it is kind of interesting. I, I started thinking about that a little bit, how I'm just like insistent that everything is dark mode. And every website that I have is not in dark mode. Um, I do realize that there is a bit of irony there. So yep. um, yeah, I definitely want to um, you know, add whatever it takes to, to start responding to that. And we did talk last show about Dark Reader, which is a curl mat in for making things dark, uh, which is kind of a good uh, short term solution for a lot of sites because it's going to take forever for everybody to to start responding to that. And in many sites are just gonna they're just not going to do that.
1: Yeah. And to be honest, I kind of didn't have a preference until recently. Now that I have a phone that has an OLED screen.
0: Yeah. That's getting, that getting
1: is. those absolute blacks where they just blend in off your phone mm-hmm. and knowing that there's less power being used uh, is something that I really want to expand my, uh, my battery life as long as possible.
0: Yeah. I am kind of interested in OLED monitors or. Um, I have actually seen people using like the LG OLED TV that, you know, that I have, uh, using basically that as a, as a monitor, which I think is an interesting idea. I hate that the, I mean, the smallest size you can get for that is 55 um darn yeah (laughs) i don't know if any if any of our listeners are using a 55 inch oled as their monitor uh please write in i'd like to hear like how that works but i did look for like youtube videos and 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 one one guy was uh reviewing it as a monitor and he said it actually is really good for gaming because it has a high refresh rate and um you know this the 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 contrast that you get. So for darker games are are amazing and, but not even from gaming, like it it is nice to just have like, have it dark. And today as we're recording this, um, at least by me, it's, it's overcast right now. So like my office is actually very dark and it is really nice when like everything on your screen is dark and only the things, you know, like the text and things like that are, are lit up. So I am really fascinated about just kind of exploring that more and, 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 um, just getting, getting to the point where everything is, is dark and and all nice. And I will say like every window that I can see. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just name the ones that I have open. So I have like, um, I actually have the documentation for the, uh, the HTTP REPL that we talked about. I have that open. I don't know if that's dark or if it's my dark reader doing it, but that makes it dark on my screen. Um, and then I have my calendar open in outlook web. That's dark. Behind that, I have VS Code, that's dark. And then I have uh, OneNote, which is dark. I have an Excel spreadsheet open, that's dark. Skype is dark. Teams is dark. Slack is dark. Uh, I think that's all I can see on my screen right now. I have calculator open for some reason that is dark. Yeah. So the Microsoft documentation
1: page, which Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about with the REPL that you can choose light or dark or high contrast modes. Okay. So I think I have chosen
0: dark on that one and then turned it off in, in dark reader. But anyway, my point is literally every I have two giant 4k monitors, every single window on both of those screens. I also have remote desktop window open. They are all dark mode now, which is truly amazing. I mean, I think that, like all developers have embraced dark mode to the point now where it's it's nearly ubiquitous for for pretty much everything. Although
1: what, one thing that I, I would have to say is a preference now that has shifted of mine. So in the past on dark mode, I, I know if you look around at all the people that have implemented it, most of the time the black isn't black; it's just yeah. a really dark gray. Mm-hmm. But when you have these OLED screens, you want them to be all zeros. You want it completely black.
0: Well, and I will say gray is actually a problem for OLED screens. Um, yes. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the examples of that where you have gray and black and, and like white, and they actually refresh at different rates. So it ends up if you scroll and you like scroll up and down really fast, elements look like they're bouncing. It's really strange. It's really strange.
1: Yeah, uh, I have seen that. And that's why it's really nice that uh, at least on the Microsoft documentation, that high contrast mode, Mm -hmm. while it might not be as pretty looking, it achieves that absolute black and the ultimate contrast that makes it easy to differentiate things. Mm -hmm. And it's going to keep that uh, uh, refresh rate in sync where they're all going to go at the same time.
0: Yeah. I do want to talk about OLEDs on laptops, but we'll talk about that here in, in just a in just a little bit. Um so yeah, all developers get your get your pages updated. Um because I will say on my phone you know especially if you're like reading in the dark um everything you know i have everything in dark mode but some of the splash screens are really bright which is a little annoying um i did notice some of them i think like twitter has no maybe it was uh, some of them have updated now now that the os supports dark mode i've noticed that some people now have dark splash screens which is great because i think the splash screen happens you know like they're they're choosing that that before um, their app, their code runs right. So before iOS thirteen, they really had no choice but to just pick one splash screen. But I'm guessing that iOS thirteen must give you an option for multiple splash screens because um, I've seen that problem getting better. So you don't get blinded whenever you open an app now. So I just love the the trend of everything though. It's uh, it's it's really great. Um, and then the last news story we have: Microsoft Windows Virtual Desktop service is now generally available. Woohoo! Yeah, I know quite a few people for
1: a while have uh, been frustrated that you really can't uh, run your average desktop environment in Azure well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know there are VMs that you know people have put desktop applications on, and they figure out kind of their own hacky way to do. Um, and what was it? I think it was like four or five years ago there was an Azure service called uh, Remote App mm-hmm. that would stream individual applications using uh des- uh virtual desktop tech or remote desktop technology mm-hmm. however that was quickly cancelled before it was really widely adopted but now this service lets you stream entire desktops uh from Azure.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting i mean i i uh it'll be interesting to see if there's gonna be like businesses that will just start out this way and just use you know basically thin clients but uh I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what uh, what happens in the space. I know a lot of people are asking for it, so I think there was a lot of uh, pent up demand.
1: The thing that's interesting is it's even you know the article that we have in the show notes talks about even complex scenarios like having Microsoft Teams hosted up there. Mm And you think about that—that's something you're going to have hardware attached to your computer or part of your laptop, where you know with the audio and the microphone and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it says that it runs better up in the cloud than oftentimes it does on on your PCs. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's really interesting. If something like that truly does work that well, this could be a a, you know a very easy way for uh, companies to you know make that consistent, uh, high available you know, experience
0: for their workers. What a bizarre way to route audio, <laughs> You're routing audio <laughs> into like a virtual machine. And then, which just routes it like over to the cloud. And presumably they're going to be side by side. Um, I guess that's not a guarantee, but uh, that's, that's just a really strange architecture. And then I don't know if teams now does any of the, like the, the peer to peer optimization where like, if I call you, we're both in the state of Wisconsin. So like, does it bypass the server for example? Um, if you put that in the cloud, it's just kind of funny cause you're going up to the cloud and then it's sort of going over to the, you know, to the cloud again and then back down. Um, so yeah, I'm curious how that works and teams is a weird example too, because teams runs in the web. I mean, you yep. can literally just run it in a browser. Um, although the, obviously the resource consumption could be uh, a concern there. Um, Chrome plus teams is not, you know, the best, um, the best use of your memory <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, so let's get into uh, some of the general topics that we have. So the first one is around VS code remote development. And I know that we have talked about this before. I think whenever it was basically first announced, um, and I honestly don't know how good of a job we did explaining how this works because we hadn't used it at the time. Uh, but you and I um, have gotten a chance to—I at least on my side—I've used it fairly extensively now. But I know you wanted to bring this up because we use it for a really cool IoT scenario. Do you want to? Do you want to run through that scenario?
1: Yeah. So you know, we had a scenario where we were helping a teammate of ours prep for an event, and they had this um, IoT device. I think it was like the NVIDIA Jetson. Yep. And we had to kind of set it up for IoT Edge, and one of the things that we Quickly found out is like he was sitting there like SSHing into it and kind of just taking his time and you know it was you know worked, uh, but then we quickly found that the uh, Visual Studio code, code extension let us all simultaneously SSH in and it was really nice because the terminal part of uh, of VS Code uh, was fully interactive. We could uh, push all the uh, you know the code updates that we needed to we could interact kick off uh processes um you know you know you know touch the file system and uh really have full access to the machine in a development scenario and it was just amazing we had four people all working on this one iot device and it was just kind of an amazing experience to collaborate like that
0: yeah i i kind of want to i want to kind of explain this a different way. Cause if, if somebody hasn't used this and they're listening, it's probably sort of hard to wrap your head around. So I I want to explain this in a little bit different way with a different scenario. So I'll give you a really good example. So I first, I'll start with kind of my backend setup. Um, so what I did was, um, I did this recently. I went up into Azure and I said, give me a Linux virtual machine. It doesn't matter if it's an Azure, it could be wherever, right? You just have a, a vanilla Ubuntu Linux machine sitting there. Um, And that had, um, or I should say has SSH enabled. Nothing special about it. It's literally just an Ubuntu Linux machine with SSH enabled. You can download, you know, if you have VS Code downloaded, installed, you go into VS Code, you install the SSH remote extension. And with that extension, then you go to the VS Code command palette, which I think everybody's familiar with. And you tell it to connect to that machine. And it basically wants to know um you know the address, and then it asks you for the password. or in my case, I used um, the uh, the RSA keys. you know you just use like a public key. Um, and then v s code was now connected to that machine, but i I, I really want to like dive into like what it means to actually be connected to that machine. Um, in the file explorer, like where you'd normally see you know a list of your development files, You can you can choose what folder to open on the remote machine. So like I picked my home directory and I could now see all of the files on the Linux machine that were in my home directory. And you can flip between files. You can edit files. You can save them. You can even right click and hit download, which I know is kind of funny because it looks like it's local, um, but it's actually not local. Um, but to you, it really doesn't matter, but you can download those files that you want. Um, so VS code is running locally, but now, now one caveat with picking that folder though, and this is something that we learned (laughs) in the
1: event, don't pick. Like root. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there is like some sort of limit on what it can keep in memory or process yeah. at, or keep track of at one single time because it's, it's not only listing them, making them available, but because it knows that it has to be aware of changes, mm-hmm. it's listening on basically every single file in every single folder for changes.
0: Yeah. So normally you're going to open up your, I would say at the most, you're going to open up like your source code folder, but I, ideally it's just going to be the root of your project on that machine. Like just create a, uh, you know, create a folder on that machine or a directory um, that has your source code in it. And, and, and actually the way that I did this was um, like you mentioned, you can in VS code, you can go to the terminal and the terminal, instead of being your local terminal, is actually a remote terminal on the remote machine. So what I did was I went in there and, you know, I was I was in my home directory. So I made a new, I made a new, actually what I did was uh, git clone. And then I put in, you know, the address of the repository I wanted. And it actually cloned from GitHub into the remote virtual machine. And then those files were, uh, then those files were showing up in that file explorer in VS code. So the whole point is that you can literally be doing development on a remote machine and it's no different than doing it locally. Um, and, and and to
1: top it all off, like in your scenario here, you were. I think you were coming in from a Mac and I was coming in from a windows machine yeah. <laughs> and we were both remoted into a Linux machine
0: mm-hmm.
1: having a full Linux development environment.
0: Yeah. Which is truly amazing. So like I, for example, I created a, a, a node JS script um, or file on the machine and then you guys started editing it. And I was like in the terminal saying node, you know, my file JS. And I was like executing that file like over and over again. Uh, which is, which is really amazing. Um, I don't think, you know, like the multi-developer scenario, I don't think that that's going to be like a normal thing unless you are just kind of hacking around and you, you know, let's say you're doing like a group project, um, where you have some people that are all working on the same code. Um, it worked fine. I mean, you could do that. I I don't know if you're going to do that, like in the real world, like with a, a big application, um, no,
1: but it's important to bring up because yeah. you might not think it has that capability.
0: Yeah. It's, so it's it, really magic. Yeah. I it's,
1: mean, it's magical just doing a one person experience. Yeah. I mean, but it, by the time you had the second person, I mean, right. uh, you could be editing the same file and you see each other's, uh, you know, saves pop
0: up. Yep. So, and then like you mentioned earlier, it can be an IOT device. It's uh, so like the Jetson. It could be a Raspberry Pi. It can be a Linux VM, th- just wherever. Um and it just sort of magically works. I mean there's nothing that you have to do on the Linux machine other than have SSH enabled. Um that's what really blows my mind is that there's no like, you know, funky setup or or anything like that. So, um the reason I'm sort of playing around with this is um I think I think I might end up writing a blog post because there's a couple different variants of of this thing, but the overall idea I I've toyed around with the idea in the past of having a virtual machine that I use for development because then, you know, if you're on a laptop, you can, you know, uh, remote into this thing every time. What really kills me is, is, is the latency. You know, if I set up a virtual machine in uh, let's say the, the Midwest, and then I'm out on, in, on the West coast, I mean, the latency might only be like 50 milliseconds, but it makes a big difference whenever you're moving your cursor around the screen. Like it's, it's actually significant. You can notice that delay quite a bit and it can just be a little frustrating. However, If you're going over SSH, you know, like a 50-millisecond lag, you're not going to notice it. It's just a totally different scenario because you're not expecting that visual input. You're typing in commands, you're hitting the button, and um, everything is going to appear instant. Now, we have a hack event coming up uh, next month in November. And uh, so I'm going to be able to toy around with this a little bit more. Um, you know, basically going between different states, but so far having that machine in Azure remote seems to, I mean, there seems to be no downside of doing it that way. And there's only upside because my battery doesn't suffer because I'm not, you know, if I'm building Docker containers or I'm, you know, doing uh, cloning or whatever, um, I'm not affecting my local machine at all. My local machine is basically a dumb terminal in that case. So super cool stuff. And, and I would say uh, my other comment on, on you know, kind of Linux development in, in general is, you know, like we know that containers are popular. We know things like Kubernetes are popular. And if you are building things for Linux, um, doing that in a Linux environment um, can make a lot of sense. I mean, I think there's, there's some appeal to being able to like just, you know, build the stuff on your local machine and then put it in a Linux container and do it that way. And that's perfectly fine. Um, So that's why I think I need to write up a blog post because I feel like there's a whole bunch of other, you know, different options here. And I want to write up sort of the pros and cons of each. And then what we didn't talk about, so we talked about the SSH option, uh, but basically the same functionality is available in two other varieties. One of them being WSL. So the Windows subsystem for Linux. Uh, So I have that on my new laptop, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I have WSL. um, I have WSL 1 on this machine. And, um, I was able to do this very easily. Again, there's an extension that, or there's, yeah, there's an extension you install in VS code. And, uh, a few seconds later it connected and I'm now actually able to use that Linux environment for development, but I can use VS code and and it all just works perfectly. And I get my terminal actually is a, uh, a WSL terminal, for example. So that is, that is super cool. And then um I know you and I had talked a little bit um because WSL2 is right around the corner um which makes things even more interesting because you can do even more because it's essentially in a virtual machine although it's a super lightweight virtual machine and that I want to talk about that a little bit later like once that's available because I'm yeah, I I think
1: once that's available yeah. we should do a whole episode on that.
0: Yeah, cuz I have I have a lot of ideas on how that works and just just kind of a sneak peek i mean it's kind of interesting because docker if you're using docker with wsl2 um essentially docker now doesn't have to do this virtual machine stuff that it does today um it's basically passing on all of that responsibility to wsl2 and wsl2 is managing this dynamic lightweight virtual machine uh, which has things like dynamic memory for example So, uh, the net result there is that Docker starts in two seconds versus 20 seconds. I mean, it's literally that, that big of a, of a difference. Um, and, and the corresponding battery, uh, impact, I think, I think there's going to be a significant impact there. It's going to be much better. So anyway, that's just some initial thoughts on that. And then the third variant of the remote development you can do in VS code is in containers, um, which is kind of interesting. And and it actually made me start thinking, you know, again, I think we should probably do it in a different episode, but it really made me start thinking about like, Hey, what's the difference between like WSL and containers? Like I could do my development in containers. I could do it in WSL, but containers are going to run on WSL. And you know, like what does you that could mean?
1: SSH into WSL as well? So, I mean, it's like, you could mix and match a lot of these options depending yeah. on
0: like, and you can have, on. by the way, multiple WSL environments. Um, I don't know if that's the same for V2. I assume it is. Uh, but that's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting that that's possible as well. So you could actually have separate environments. Um, I don't know. And then containers themselves just get better with WSL2. So I feel like there's so many options here because you got like SSH, you have WSL1, and then you have WSL2, you have Docker, then you have Docker on WSL, you have Docker in a virtual machine. Um, yeah, it, things are getting really complicated. So I feel like, I feel like we yeah, we do need to do an episode and just break all of this, uh, break all of this down.
1: But no matter what kind of development we're doing, VS code makes all of that easy. Yep. Which is amazing.
0: Yeah. One other feature that I think a lot of people miss is the fact that, you know, cause let's say you're developing a website on a remote uh, Linux host, you can actually, there's an option you have to bring up the command palette again. There's an option to do a remote proxy. So whenever you start up your web server on the remote Linux machine, uh, basically you can do port forwarding. So, um, and it all goes through that same connection. So you can say, hey, uh, you know, that remote Linux machine is hosting on port 80. I want to expose that to my local machine is 5,000. So you can just open up your web browser then and say "localhost port 5,000 and be browsing that remote website, which is really amazing. So again, I mean, you can do all of your Linux development. Um... Uh, remotely um, but it works like just as nicely as it does uh, locally nice yeah and, and i think the reason that's kind of interesting is you know right now i have it in a, in a virtual machine uh, but right now I'm, I'm building we'll talk about this in a little bit i'm building this beast of a desktop um, and it's going to be super powerful and i can actually i'll be able to run linux in a vm and it will be like an extremely fast instance of linux so it is really appealing to me to be able to be like, let's say we're in Seattle and I need to do something that's going to require a whole bunch of bandwidth and CPU and maybe disk access. I can sit there and do that on my laptop and my laptop will basically be idling, um, but I'm ba- using that backend to do, to do that development, but without the old school pain of doing remote development. Uh, so that's kind of exciting to me. Plus I have a gigabit connection at home. So, you know, if I am doing like NPM install, for example, like it's going to be insanely fast. Um, cause I don't even know what the bottleneck will be at that point. It's going to be interesting to see. Cool. So any other comments or questions on that, Carl? No, I mean,
1: even though we only work together, uh, on a day for this one particular project, mm-hmm. uh, I've been really finding ways that this re- these remote development extensions
0: are becoming more and more integral in my daily development life. Yeah. I mean, it's a game changer for IoT. I mean, the fact that I mean we have this device sitting there. It's it's so funny because like just like, yes, IoT, here's the device. And we all like sort of stared at it and we're like, like, what do we do with it? <laughs> like <laughs> Cause I think so the first know, thing you did is you like went off and like got like a monitor and keyboard and
1: yeah, like, you know, you know, you don't always need that. Yeah. You know, as long as you
0: have power and it auto connects to a network, mm-hmm. bam. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, and then our next topic. So I got my new work machine. I didn't realize that these things, so I, you know, I got the Dell XPS 13 two in one. I didn't realize that they like they, they're, they just started shipping. Like I was really impatient. You know, I wanted it. I was going to Asia. I just got back from Shanghai and, uh, I wanted it for that trip. Instead I had to take, um, I was just worried about like, you know, border security and things like that. Like they always mess with your machine and then security experts are like, up. Oh, they touch it, you know, throw it away. So <laughs> I didn't want to take my like Gigantor Mac. Plus that Mac is kind of heavy and big. And um, I mean, it's not that bad, but you know what I mean? Um, so I took my old uh, Surface Book, like the original Surface Book and uh which was pretty good for watching like movies on a plane but i don't know that thing is it's just slow by today's standards i mean it's three and a half years old just to kind of put it in perspective
1: well and and i think like what a lot of us look for in a work laptop Mm -hmm. is a little bit different but as developers most of the time you want the latest greatest processors Mm -hmm. a ton of ram as much fast SSD as you can get, but still be extremely light, portable. And if you're one of the kinds of developers like us who do have a fair amount of travel, you know, having that multi-form factor where you can get like a, either a tent mode or a tablet mode mm-hmm. is really important for, for planes. Mm-hmm. Um, not just being small and light, but having a small and light charger for it. Those are priorities. Mm -hmm. And if work's paying for it, there is a certain amount of budget, but generally it's going to be a bigger budget than what you would probably spend on yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, it's probably similar to what, like, kind of where my limit would be kind of depending, um, depending on what I'm getting and and how I'm using it. But uh, basically our, you know, our guideline says about $2,500. This one I think is more than that retail, but you know, like Microsoft gets like a, you know, like a volume discount and, you know, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of factors in there, but basically the one that I got with tax is like $2,800 or something. Actually, I think it's cheaper if you order it straight from, from Dell, let's say $2,600. So it's not cheap. Um, but it's also not, you know, Mac pro high end expensive either, but, Um, overall, what kind of of
1: specs did you get? Because I believe you got this thing pretty maxed out.
0: Oh my God. So overall, this thing is amazing. This thing is just, I mean, it is the, the design I think is, is great. It is, it is an awesome form factor. Um, it looks tiny. So like, I think the specs almost are more impressive if you see this thing in person, because you would guess that this thing is like a, you know, got like eight gigs of Ram And, you know, like a 256 gig hard drive and it's just kind of weak overall. But no, this thing has 32 gigabytes of RAM. It's got a terabyte of SSD and then it has a 10th gen, uh, which are, you know, getting a little more common now, 10th gen i7 quad core processor. Um, So, I mean, it is, it is decked out and then it has, you know, just to kind of go through some of the other specs on it it has two USB-C ports. There's no USB-A ports. I don't even know if they'd fit on the sides. I don't think they would. This thing is so, so incredibly thin and light, uh, but two USB C ports and a uh, micro SD card slot, and then an audio headphone jack. And, um, the keyboard goes right to the edges. The screen has nearly no bezel. Um, so effectively, like I put it side by side with my surface book, my surface book looks massive compared to this thing. Um, the screen on this is larger than the service book service book 13 uh, or what is the small service book is it a 13 I, inch yeah okay well this screen is much bigger than that <laughs> so
1: so how does it compare to your Macbook because that's what you were your MacBook pro was your previous kind of like daily driver so well
0: you- yeah and and to be clear like I still I'm still I'm using my not my MacBook pro is essentially a desktop computer because it's driving my two 4k monitors um, so I do use it a lot during the day and then it's kind of interesting, um, you know, I have, the, I have that MacBook plugged into like this giant USB-C hub, which hooks up Ethernet. It hooks, it, I, have it, I have it hooked up to everything. Um, and actually, one of my biggest complaints about that is that any machine that you hook up to like 10 devices simultaneously, and then you go and yank the USB cord <laughs> out of, it turns out computers don't really like that. I mean, it deals with it okay, Um, but honestly, like it, it deals with it bad enough that I never really wanted to undock that machine unless I was going to use it for a couple hours. So what I'm doing with this new machine is I have it sitting on my desk and I'm basically using it for development. And I, the only cord I've been, I've been pretty strict about this. I have one cord going into it and it's the charger. So I know that I can yank the charger out at any point. And it's not going to affect anything, right? Like if I'm in the middle of something like super important or like a Skype call or whatever, I can literally just yank the cord and the machine's not going to freak out. So I like that because this thing is so portable. If I want to just go like do some quick work on, on the, let's say I wanted to do five minutes of work. I just wanted to respond to one email It is nothing for me to pick up this, this new laptop, unplug it, go sit down, write that email, and then just like sit it back down in my office. And and I really like that. I really like that I can do that with this machine. And it's only, it's a three pound machine. So it's pretty incredible. So to get to your question about comparing it to the MacBook pro uh, here's, what's kind of interesting. So the MacBook Pro, it's a 2017 MacBook Pro. So the thing is only two years old. Let's say three years old because of the way years work, I think. Um, it might be three years. I think it's less than that, though. But we'll say three years. Um, so the MacBook Pro was like fully decked out whenever I got it. Well, not maybe not fully because I don't think I had the max hard drive. But uh, they both have a one terabyte SSD. So that's the same. They are both quad core, although the generation, the Intel generation is different. Uh the the uh XPS 13, which this which is the smaller machine has 32 gigs of RAM, whereas the Mac Pro at the time could only have 16, so I have doubled the memory. And uh so that's kind of the the specs, you know, as written. Uh before the show, to see what the actual relative performance was, like in a real world scenario, I took a uh uh an episode of the MS Dev show it was actually the last one that we did video on. Um And it was about a 400 uh, meg file, video file. And I ran that through Handbrake on both machines using an identical profile. So even though the operating systems are different and blah, 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 it just sort of takes everything out of the equation. It says, how fast can you um, you re-encode a 1080p video? On the uh on the MacBook Pro, it was able to do that task at sixty six frames per second. So that's how many frames it was able to process per second in the reencode. The X and I ran it for uh you know basically for the entire video file. The XPS thirteen was able to process it at hundred and eight frames per second. Now, keep that's quite out. a bit faster. Yeah. So this is a very CPU bound task. They both have four cores. Um, I don't believe it uses the GPU, but even if it did, that would be more embarrassing for the MacBook because it has also a dedicated GPU as well. Whereas the XPS 13, I don't think it has a dedicated GPU, which I actually like because dedicated GPU means more power usage. So <laughs> in the end, that means that the in the video encoding task, the XPS 13 beat the Mac Pro um, by 63%. I mean, how crazy is that? That this a bit. T- I mean, if you, uh, in, in, you know, if you're just listening, like I, I understand maybe that, maybe that doesn't sound like that crazy to you, but like, if you could see this machine and how small it is, like I have, let me, maybe this is a better comparison. I have, I have a, let me unplug this real quick. So I have a, an iPad uh, pro sitting here on my desk. And, um, so if I, if I sit it on top of the XPS 13, the XPS 13 is smaller okay from a from a um dimensions like you know if you imagine the laptop sitting on my desk i have it open and on the keyboard i set the the ipad pro the ipad pro is considerably wider and deeper you know so so this thing is smaller than that is and is in terms of thickness um it's thinner if i if i don't count the screen it's actually they're actually they're identical if i exclude the cover so if i exclude the cover of the iPad Pro and the monitor and the screen of the XPS 13. They're identical thickness. Um, and obviously if I close the laptop, then it, it becomes the thicker of the two, but this thing is effectively, you know, like carrying around an iPad Pro, but it's a real computer and it's kicking the ass of a MacBook Pro. <laughs> so how incredible is that? Um, I mean, in p- virtually every regard, this thing is just an amazing machine to be carrying around. I will say the battery life, um, you know, everybody likes to quote, like, you know, playing video, blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, I maybe I shouldn't speculate, but I will anyway. Um, I think <laughs> if I was watching movies on a plane, I would probably be getting eight hours of battery life um, with the way that I've been using this, which is actually installing a lot of stuff and like just messing around with a whole bunch of different things. I'm like, I'm I'm using it pretty aggressively. Um, it's generally saying like five hours of battery life, which I know does not sound great, um, but that's like real world actually using it. Um, like I said, if I'm playing a video, I have a feeling that I'll get eight hours or more. So, you know, you'll just have to stay tuned. I'll have to report back uh, once I actually take a trip and watch some movies on a plane. And like you pointed out, you know, I can put this thing in tent mode and I can watch a, a movie on a plane. And this is one of the first laptops that I've had that is small enough that I might be able to use it on a tray table. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably one of the best machines if you're going to actually use it on a plane. Um, so that's kind of interesting as well, because um, I've tried to do that on my Mac Pro and you got to do the the the, the T-Rex arms um, and then you just look, you just look crazy. Like, just don't do that. Don't try to get work done on a plane.
1: <laughs> yeah. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and
0: performance monitoring
1: for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to Raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes dramatically improve the online experience of your users what other laptops kind of like hit like that runners-up position as you were either looking for this or kind of comparing yeah you know last minute right before you purchased
0: yeah so the big one obviously was like the surface laptop 2 and then i know that the right around the corner is the surface event and i think we're you know, we might end, well, I think we'll probably end up publishing this episode after that event, you know, so the, those things will be public. Um, so I guess I don't really have to worry about what I say, although I don't have any insider knowledge. All I've been looking at is like public rumors, but it looks like there's going to be, uh, you know, a Surface, uh, laptop three. I think that would be a good one. It sounds like there's a potential that it has an AMD processor. Um, so, you know, I'd be interested in what the benchmarks are on that. So I did have to compare like a real computer to like a fictional you know, future potential laptop. I don't think there will be a significant difference between those machines, but I could be proven wrong tomorrow. The other thing I considered was, uh, there, there's, there are all of these Qualcomm processors now where you can get a machine that gets like 20 hours of battery life and it's just ridiculous. And they're doing that arm emulation. Um, I, I'm, I think for normal users, those would be, those could potentially be an amazing option. And I sort of considered that because portability was like one of my highest requirements now. And cause I just wanted to, you know, like if like my kids, like I take them to like a trampoline park, for example, and they sit there and jump for two hours. I don't want to stare at my phone. Like I'm going to get some work done. Like that's, what's really cool about work-life balance. I can get some stuff done then. And then I can, you know, take time out of a different day or whatever. Like that's, that was the appeal. So that's why I was looking at, at those types of machines. But I do just worry about those times when you just don't have enough power. And I'm going to be stuck with this machine for three years. And I, I did not want an underpowered machine. I wanted one where at the end I was going to be like, yeah, this thing is just, you know, I wish I had a little bit faster machine, um, so that's kind of the the case there. Yeah. I think there's a lot that goes into these kinds of decisions. And mm-hmm. for me, I kind of separate them,
1: you know, is this something for work? Like you said that yep. you're going to have for a long time. And part of that is let's get some of those maxed out as much. So in three years, I'm not just dreading every day working mm-hmm. on it. Yep. And then also is a, is it a primary or a secondary machine? Right. Uh, because I do have, my primary work machine, but then I also like having my own personal machine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'm going to take a lot more concessions on that one, because I'm not on it for eight hours at a stretch or six hours at a stretch, yep. whatever it is, it's likely only be for an hour or two. So I have a different set of requirements for that. Uh, right now I kind of have gone to an extreme personally um, with the surface go. But at the same time, uh, the, uh, the third option there is also price. So you have, is this something for work? Am I going to be on it a long time? Is it a primary, secondary and who's paying for it? Mm-hmm. Because even though I like to be a good corporate citizen, you know, it is somebody else's money and the priorities are different. Having a good work machine to keep me productive is part of that mm-hmm. scenario. Whereas when I'm paying for it myself, this is money that I'm not going to necessarily recoup the same way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I feel like this, this, this laptop for me is like the best set of compromises and there are very few compromises. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention, you, you mentioned um having a small power adapter. This is the smallest power adapter that I've ever seen for a laptop. Uh, it's a 45 watt power adapter. I'm not sure what to compare it to other than the new iPhone 11 has like a little bit bigger power adapter and like it's, close to the size of that. <laughs> like it's literally the size of what you'd expect for a large phone charger. Um, that's how big it is. Plus I have this, um, um, you know, I've talked about this before. I have this, 60 uh, watt power adapter. That's like the size of two of the smaller iPhone chargers, um, which is that, which is a GAN charger. Um, I don't even know if I have to use that with this machine. Um, that might've been in hindsight, might've been a waste of money now that I have, um, you know, the charger with this one. So, I'm not sure what to think. I mean, and, and the charger that came with it is actually pretty fantastic. Um, because it has the 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 high voltage cord and then it has the USB C at the other end. And uh, it has a light on the um the you know on the USB C, which is kind of nice because it, it it tells me two things. One is it tells me, you know, that I actually have power coming in and it it's lit up whether regardless of whether or not it's plugged into the laptop or not. And like last night I had to find the USB port on this thing, basically in the dark. And it provides enough light in the dark that you, that I was able to use it as a light to see where the port was. So, uh, you know, whoever, like, you know, the, the team that developed this laptop, like, I feel like they, they really like cared about this and they, they really thought through a lot of the design aspects of it. I, I feel like they did just a really, really fantastic job. So I'm, I'm very happy with this. I don't feel bad. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what could be announced tomorrow from the surface line that would make me jealous. Um, unless it, unless they showed benchmarks where it was like the same amount of performance as the machine I got, but also gets 20 hours of battery life. I mean, that would be, that would be amazing. I'm not expecting that though, but we'll have to wait and see. And then the other, the other machine, and I didn't compare it to this ahead of time, uh, but if you are in the market for a machine like this, um, like there's more choices coming out. Um, so HP, Daniel Urbino, uh, uh, tweeted about this. He said, HP basically fixed everything on the new Spectre X360 13. Um, this generational laptop is just fantastic. Um, so it has a pre- precision, precision trackpad, just like my XPS 13 has, which is critical for having a good, uh, touchpad, uh, 4k OLED. Uh, so that is a big advantage. The screen on mine is not an OLED. Um, so I think that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Um, I will say that the, the, the contrast on the, on the screen in mine um, is nearly perfect. So I don't know if there's a huge advantage to OLED. I don't know if there's a power savings on this specter, you know, we'll have to kind of wait and see. Um, so I, I, I am jealous of the OLED on that screen uh 60% thinner bezels so it's kind of the same as the XPS 13 actually I think the XPS 13 still has thinner bezels but um but they're getting better uh the HP has 4G LTE which my XPS does not um which is kind of interesting although in all in all honesty like I'm kind of glad that I don't have it because then I would be I would be tempted to pay that money every month to actually get it connected um, and I don't know how much I would actually use it. So I'm kind of glad it doesn't have that. So it's not a, it's not, it's not a tempting, Uh, and then USB A USB-A port on the HP, uh, which I don't have. Um, so that's, that's kind of nice that it just has that directly on there. 60 watt hour battery. I don't know what this, the XPS 13 has and Intel Optane, which mine has as well. Um, and it's, it's interesting too because he replies to his own tweet and he mentioned in here, um, comparing it to, um, I think it's the one from last year. They, it is, they are, these laptops are so much smaller because of the lack of the bezel on the screen. It's really incredible how you can get a smaller machine with, you know, basically no compromise just because the technology has gotten that much better. So that's another one to look at. I think it's roughly equivalent to the XPS 13. So, you know, if you're, if there's a particular brand that you like, you know, maybe you take a look at that. Um, but, uh, but anyway, you know, that's, that's what you, uh, that's what you have. But I, I have zero regrets on this m- machine. I am so happy that I picked this machine. Um, and that doesn't happen a lot. I usually, I have some regrets, but I, I am this, this would be my choice again and again right now. Um, and then I know you asked earlier too, about comparing this to the Mac, you know, we, I talked about the hardware, but the other thing to compare is the software, you know, so like Mac OS versus windows, um windows for a while on like the surface book you know wasn't great the the reliability the just the the general issues that it would have whereas on the mac side that was pretty stable i've actually seen mac os um there's actually been some bumps in the road as far as stability um and and even like this laptop i the the macbook i can't put it in a standby if it's if i put it in a standby while it's docked Um, it loses its mind and will not come back on. And, um, I'm also, the battery is swelling on it. Um, and one of the USB ports is going bad. (laughs) So like, you know, it's not all roses on the Mac side of things, right? Um, I've had plenty of issues on this XPS 13. I have yet to have a single lockup freeze blue screen or other issue. I mean, so far, zero, zero, zero issues, um, it's not really a fair comparison as I'm comparing three years of data versus, you know, like a couple three, weeks. Well, not even a couple of weeks. I've had this, this machine here for what, three days. <laughs> so three days worth of data. I know it's not fair, but I have been using this thing a ton. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think as far as stability, I feel like it's a wash at this point, um, given the data that I have, if I had to pick a machine to trust, I don't, I mean, I, I would put them as roughly equal at this point. Um, I do miss, uh, the thing that, that I don't get by being on windows is I don't get final cut pro, which is really unfortunate because final cut pro is so good. Um, and then I don't get the inertial scrolling that, um, that I have on the Mac, which I think is, I think they've just done a better job at, you know, as far as scrolling web pages, but it's not bad on the, on the XPS 13 either. It's just, it's just not as good. And the trackpad is still like, it is like 98% as good. Um, I don't know how Apple does this magic, and I still don't understand why somebody else can't just copy it. Just what, like, does nobody else have the engineering prowess to make a trackpad that Apple made a decade ago? <laughs> I mean, is, this, is there alien technology in there? What is it? Like, seriously, I, I, I don't understand why Apple can do this and nobody else can why? (laughs) Um, but anyway, like I said, we're, we're like 98% of the way there, but like, where's the other 2%? Where is it? Um, so that's my rant. Um, but, um, I do like having uh paint.net again on this machine. That's kind of nice. Um, also like having WSL and, and it is kind of goofy how Docker works on the, um, on the Mac right now. Uh, with our with our hyperkit i guess it works it works pretty good though i guess i shouldn't complain about that but now with uh, when wsl2 comes out and even wsl1 like i i'm really a big fan of even wsl1 uh, using um using that has has actually been very good like i feel like that's matured quite a bit um and i think that's going to stay as part of windows as well so i think you can continue to use wsl1 um i don't know what the long term you know support of that thing is going to be but yeah, so the one thing that I want you to try out and yeah. I know you haven't had
1: a chance yet mm-hmm. is, uh, for those of people, uh, just giving a quick recap, a few months ago, we upgraded some of our podcast hardware mm-hmm. and we have this recorder slash audio interface called the Mix Pre 6. Yep. And, um, You've always been using uh, a MacBook or you have anyways. Uh, but we found out that with my Surface, for some reason, it pitches me way, like way low. Like I, like I, I sound like, you know, (laughs) you know, one of those sexy, sexy seventies, you know, you know, singers. Yeah. Um, like that low. And don't know why, assuming it was something with Windows, uh, when we hook it up to a Mac laptop, I have no issues. So I'm kind of curious if you could do some testing with that mix pre Pre six to see if there's something in compatibility with windows or something like that where you're getting similar results as that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Cause I, I do. Yeah. I will have to test that because the nice thing about the mix pre six is that it is, um, USB C, and it's powered off a of USB-C, right? So like you literally, I can plug that mixer into the laptop and it's a complete portable recording studio. So I will, I will test that. Um, I don't know what the issue, the the issue you're having always seems to me like there's like a bit, almost like a bit rate issue, you know, cause that would change like the, the tone of your voice. Yeah. But because,
1: uh, um, you having, uh, this hardware that's so drastically different from mine, you know, okay. that is,
0: you know. You know, is it a hardware versus software issue? Right, exactly. And I will say, you know, whether it's a hardware or software issue for audio stuff, I have had much better luck with the Mac. I will admit that. Um, It's just been more reliable and just like, it just works, which is, it's kind of frustrating because Mac OS gives you like less options for like your audio stuff. (laughs) They just like, they give you almost nothing. But fortunately, yeah. it just it just works most of yeah, the time. Yeah, especially
1: because you know we are going to be doing some traveling together in November, and we're hoping mm-hmm. to do some in-person recording. It would be much nicer to not have to bring two laptops and yeah. and double up on that hardware when we're traveling.
0: Well, so, the thing but, is, we don't even need the laptops for that,
1: <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Well, well, I, I get it, but it would be it would it would just be nice to know. Yep, that you know like if it worked well with any kind of hardware that we had mm-hmm. um, that that's just one less thing to have to worry about.
0: Yep. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to give that a try. I suspect it'll work fine with this laptop. I've just like, everything has been working great on this laptop. So I I'm, I'm very optimistic about everything right now, just cause it has, it has just handled so well, everything that I have thrown at it. And I will say it's nice to going into task manager and seeing like, even if I'm like running everything simultaneously, I still have like 16 gigs of memory free. <laughs> that is, that is so nice having that additional headroom there. So anyway, any other questions on this laptop? I mean, I just, it's, it's just awesome, man. I just love it. I love it. No, I, I,
1: I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but it, de- it definitely sounds like it's something like if you needed a new, uh, you know, daily driver laptop and you had a healthy budget that this would be something that could solve a lot of different people's problems.
0: Yeah. Oh, a couple of small things I didn't mention. And I know this is taking a while, but, um, <laughs> one of them is that, uh, it has the 802 to 11 ax. Um, and I don't have an ax access point, but I will say that the, um, one thing that Apple's done a really good job at in their laptops is they always put, um, cause you can put like multiple radios. So you can do like two by two or three by three. And I think Apple, uh, has always put three by three radios in for their MacBook Pros. Um, a lot of the Windows laptops use two by two, which is just a little bit slower for normal people. Again, it's not going to matter, but if you want to do like crazy benchmarks of Wi-Fi, um, the, the, the Windows machines usually do worse, but this thing actually has an amazing Wi-Fi chipset in it. And I was getting, I think, like six hundred something by like eight hundred over Wi-Fi in my living room, Uh, because the Wi-Fi in my living room is is theoretically capable of supporting the full gigabit uh, internet connection. Um, So this thing, you know, did pretty good as far as getting pretty high toward that theoretical maximum. And um, what was the? There was one other hardware thing I was going to mention on this. Um, I don't remember what the other thing was. So, yeah, I mean, there's just things that you just don't think of initially where, you know, they, they're, they're great on this machine. Um, okay. With that, then we should probably talk about, there's a surface event. So that's happening tomorrow. But when you're listening to this, it was probably today, yesterday, or days ago, (laughs) depending on how long you've waited to listen to this, uh, to this episode. So we don't, we don't know all the details yet, but Um, A lot of stuff has been allegedly leaked, Um, so I don't know how you want to go through this, Carl. Yeah,
1: so I'm going to work off of what's been leaked and published on Thrott.com. so we'll have that article in the show notes if if you want to follow along with uh, what we're talking about here. Um, The first thing on there is ARM-based Surface tablets, Mm -hmm. and this is something that I'm personally super excited about uh, because... You know, Some of the ARM-based performance on other platforms really put it in the ballpark of what a good mobile i5 processor is. Mm -hmm. And that's plenty of performance for a good chunk of different tasks. But there's also with ARM comes just a ton of battery overhead. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the sore spots for my Surface Go. I love the size. I love the portability. Its performance is slow, but it's good for what I need it. Um, but the battery lasts like four hours or less real world. Well, I Man, forgot.
0: It, is that is that AMD or Intel? Or that's not AMD, Intel or sorry, Arm like gold or Intel.
1: processor. So it's like just some just ah uh, okay. It's it's just like a
0: one off odd chip. So so if it, so, I think we've talked about this. So the the ideal thing for like a super portable would be an ARM based Go, right?
1: Yeah. For me, that would be great. But it, it's sounding like this isn't going to be in the Go class. It's going to be something like a yep. Surface Pro form factor, mm-hmm. except thinner and lighter. Yep. Um, as well as having two USB C ports, which I think is kind of table stakes for, uh, when you get to that thinness, you just don't have the thickness to put a USB A port in. And to be honest, like as I'm getting more and more different devices in my life now, I just want the transition to go as quickly as possible to USB C. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, you know, it, it always kind of brings up this, this question of like, you know, like I have this iPad pro and like, it's good for like watching video, (laughs) but, but honestly, like any, everything else you try to do on it is super frustrating. The fact that you can get like a real computer with like real USB ports at like the same weight, the same, you know, like almost everything's the same, even the same price. It kind of makes you say like, why should I get an iPad pro and not, you know, like the iPad pro hardware is fantastic. The processor is just like ridiculous. Like I get all of that, but to actually use the thing, um, I think anybody thinking about getting an iPad really needs to think about what they want to do on it. If you want to sit there and watch Netflix on it, that's, that's go, go get that, go get an iPad pro and, or just a regular iPad or whatever, and just knock yourself out. But if you want to do anything that's real, I think these, these windows machines are just way more interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also anticipated the surface pro seven, mm-hmm. uh, that, that line has been pretty solid for a few models now. Mm-hmm. So I think the only ma- major uh, addition is a USB C port in addition to a, mm-hmm. uh, and like I said, you know, that's been a pretty good salute, you know, product for a while. So yeah. I, I think that that doesn't need as many updates. Yep. Um, the surface laptop three has a few changes. Um, it's it sounds like it's going to come without Alcantara or Alcantara optional. And that's the little fuzzy coating that's uh, on the keyboard. Uh, some people liked it. A lot of people didn't, uh, there's sounds like there's going to be a 13 and a 15 inch size. So if you need something a little bigger, um, and I know, I think one of the things you breezed over, but you actually bumped up the scaling on your 4k yeah. uh, resolution there. So having a little bit uh, bigger screen will also help with that as well.
0: Yeah, um, I have, I have mine at 250%, which I know is an oddball number. And it's probably like, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are crying right now over having it at, at that. But 200 was, uh, was not big enough. And 300 was, uh, was kind of ridiculous. So I have it set for 250. <laughs> And uh I don't know, I'm just getting older, and i'm 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 turning into one of those people that's just like, "Yeah, I need it bigger so that I can see it." I mean yeah. uh, my vision's still pretty good, but um it's just more comfortable at two hundred fifty
1: yeah and and the last thing for the service laptop three is that might come in some a m d options mm-hmm. and uh a m d has just been really killing it lately, it's, yeah you know for for quite a few years they've kind of been behind Intel on the price performance curve. But they, in this latest generation, they really seem to have uh, been really good uh, competition for Intel.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, l- let's pretend like. Well, I I think I think the best case scenario is that Intel like gets their act together and 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 we have two strong choices. Yeah. Um, but right now, I mean, that's the the price performance difference between the two is is pretty astounding. So I'm I'm glad that like we're starting to see AMD creep into things. Uh, and just wake up the whole industry again.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like there's going to be a Surface Pen with wireless charging. And I highly welcome that because I think um I have several uh, Surface Pens that need quadruple A batteries. I bought a pack of them like years ago when I had to replace them once and I found them and they're like all dead. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I have a bunch of these pens that are lying around not working, which is, you know, frustrating so being able to get wireless charging is would be nice but even bigger is like if and who knows if this is an option or not but like if you can wirelessly charge it from the device you're using it like if there's a spot on it or a little sp- storage mechanism for it that would be amazing mm-hmm um, there's actually a bunch more quote rumors of things that are going to happen, but not on this confirmed, you know, air quotes, uh, leak list, um, that I just wanted to mention too. So the first one is, uh, some sort of AirPod competitor. So Surface, uh, you know, AirPod, no, you know, you know Earpod,
0: whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, believe that if there weren't already surface headphones. I mean that that yeah. actually gives that some credibility.
1: And and I'm really excited because while I do love uh, my Apple AirPods, uh, they're two and a half to three years old, and I've been having a ton of battery issues with them lately.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, as- And and the most annoying thing isn't just the battery issues is they're each different issues. So my left one drains really quickly and my right one has these weird connectivity issues. So one will have a lot of battery, but flakes out and the other one just dies real quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's odd. So I'm in, I'm in the spot to upgrade and I would be very interested in giving this a chance, but at the same time, all just how AirPods just magically work really well with everything that's Apple is another reason to maybe just upgrade and yeah, exactly. get a new set of AirPods.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for the third gen. I'm still on the first gen. I mean, the second look interesting. Yeah, but-
1: I'm still on the first gen too. Yeah, so it, It's yeah. a real hard choice. And, and for me, it's easier to maybe try whatever could come out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then if that sucks, then wait for the third gen. Yeah.
0: And again, these are purely rumors. We know nothing about any of these. They don't, uh, they don't tell us any of this stuff. So, no. so we're literally just regurgitating some rumors. So yeah. don't, um, yeah. yeah, don't think we have the, any, the next one, knowledge. which
1: is, is a huge rumor. And, uh, and, and even the rumor mill says, if it does come out, it's just going to be showing us not actually even releasing the hardware, which is some sort of dual screen device or mm-hmm. the, you know, legendary Centaurus device. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you know, if this is just showing us what's going to come out nine to twelve months from now, yeah, interesting in concept, but it's not going to get truly exciting until we're in a spot where we could actually order one of these. So, um, you know, I don't think that's going to be huge, even if it does get shown. I mean, it's going to definitely strike up some excitement, but that's about it. Have you seen the ASUS
0: ZenBook Pro Duo? N- not the Duo. Okay. So this thing, um, I will, I will paste it into the, um, the show notes right under the dual screen stuff. Uh, but this thing, you know, I was like, what could something like this look like? I, I actually bumped into this cause I was, I was looking at, um, Asus motherboards right on their front. They, they show this thing. I, I pasted the link and if you want to open it up, it's really wild though. Um, we might've talked about something similar to this before, but basically there is, ha- you know, where the keyboard would be. Um they've shifted the keyboard to the outer edge and they've half of the base of the laptop is also screen <laughs> ooh
1: <laughs> At a first glance, this is a really polarizing device. I mean, obviously,
0: it looks good in a picture, but this would look like it would be kind of awkward to use. It's like a giant touch bar, and the touch bar is like the stupidest piece of tech to ever come out of Apple. So, I don't know. Making it bigger and, yeah, I I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's the problem. They didn't make it big enough. <laughs> yeah, the touch bar is just too small. What a weirdo device, though. I, I, I don't is. know. I don't know. I It'll be interesting. I, I don't... I don't understand why we need dual screen, but, um, but again, I don't, you know, if we see some kind of demo or something, I don't know, I, I guess I could be convinced, but right now I'm just having a hard time understanding what the deal is. Like you yeah. just want a laptop. I think I the
1: original, I, I think the original career <laughs> device was interesting yeah, because it was kind of a new genre. I mean, it wasn't a laptop. It, it was more kind of in the, the PDA slash mobile. Yeah. Didn't sphere? it have like an E-ink screen on one side? Yeah, one side was e-ink and the other was more traditional display. See, now that's kind of
0: interesting because now you like you're in the middle of reading a web page or something, and now it's like it can be on the e-ink side, and then you the other side can just turn off. You know, but yeah, I don't
1: know. And then um, finally, uh, there could potentially be a new version of Windows. Uh, some people call it Windows Light, um, and that would be something that is a a wholly newly imagined. Uh, version of windows that would be something that very small form factors or very small performance uh, devices could run and adapt to a wide variety of form different Mm. form factors okay so we don't know anything like i said being jason and i um but these are really cool things to uh, look at the rumors that have come out. And uh, there are definitely some devices that might uh, remove some money from our pockets. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But at at the same time, uh, until we see what this is tomorrow, uh, we don't know exactly that. And I'm sure the next episode will actually go over in a little bit more detail on what some of uh, what did come out, Mm -hmm. uh, what our opinions are.
0: Yeah. I think there's, I mean, there's just like, there's, I I think it's just a really exciting time for like hardware and windows and, and all of this other stuff. Like, I feel like everything is like pretty mature. We're getting like interesting ways of doing things now. I know there was like this proliferation of like two in one devices and like everybody trying every crazy thing to just see what would stick. And, um, I don't know. I, I, there was like, I call that period, like the gimmicky period. And I feel like, um, you know, this, this Asus Zen book, obviously I think is still in the gimmicky territory, but I feel like we've, we've also just gotten to this point where like so much of these um, let's call them like alternative designs have, have started to become mainstream. And like, we sort of figured out like what, what is a good use where, so I figure it seems like we're in this more um, mature phase of, uh, of all of that. And it's just, it's just really exciting. I mean, The the hardware technology, the processor technology, the the memory, the the speed of the drives. I mean, all of it is just, um, it's just really exciting. Okay. Um, Anything else we needed to cover? No, I think we covered quite a bit today. Cool. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm just anxious to hear how people are going to be, uh, well, I want to hear, you know, if you get any cool, uh, any of this cool new uh, hardware, definitely uh, send us an email to feedback at msdev.com or just tweet at us. Like we'd love to hear uh, what you think of this stuff. Um, that would be, uh, that'd be super cool. Um. Okay. So Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie.